Hello, and welcome back to Displaced Underdogs. I am your host, Morgan. Last episode was a rather heavy one. I talked about mental illness and the major roadblocks to treatment in most societies, but particularly in my home country of the United States. And by the title of this episode, I'm going to address the biggest and most dangerous roadblock that prevails and causes the other roadblocks to someone's mental wellness. I liked when I heard it phrased that way, mental wellness over mental illness. It changes the perception dramatically. Wellness has a much higher positive ring to it versus illness. But today I'm going to talk about the stigma that still surrounds mental illness, mental health. I would very much like to put a disclaimer in here that I forgot to put in my last episode. I am in no way a certified professional. (laughs) This is not an alternative to actual medical professional therapy or help. I am just a mere commentator that talks about subjects that personally interest me and I find to personally help or that personally affect me more often than not. And this is just my little corner of the internet where I have a voice and can share my thoughts, opinions, and information on these subjects. With that said, let's unpack stigma in regards to mental health. And I do use the word stigma quite a bit, and I realize that when you use stigma, it stigmatizes itself but we're unpacking stigma. So with that said, sit back, plug in, relax, and enjoy. Last episode, I went into mental health and the current crisis most of the U.S., as well as other countries, are facing. I also touched on the history of the U.S. roadblocks most face when needing help, and why so many Americans do not or cannot get the proper help they need and truly deserve, even when in crisis sometimes. One of those roadblocks, and quite frankly, the biggest one that creates all the other roadblocks, by the way, and is the most dangerous, is the stigma surrounding mental health. Mental health does not discriminate. It is like any other illness out there. Cancer does not discriminate. COPD does not discriminate. Heart disease does not discriminate. Mental illness is the same as any of those physical 
diseases that do not discriminate. It affects everyone and anyone, whether directly or indirectly. No matter your age, your social status or class, your ethnicity or gender, it is an everyone sort of problem. And yet, it is still seen today as a negative, scary, taboo topic that's whispered about and only really getting brought to attention when a horrific crime occurs and in the aftermath that follows that said criminal event or when a beloved celebrity or public figure takes their own life. Even then, it still makes many folks uncomfortable. And all I can do is ask, why? And what can we do then to make it less scary, less awkward, less uncomfortable, less taboo? How do we break the stigma? And the first thing is we need to address why many in today's society still hold stigmas surrounding mental health and mental illness. So, first things first. Let's start with the word itself. Stigma. The main definition of stigma is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. Disgrace. Keyword here. Stigma itself is interesting because it causes and perpetuates itself by stigmatizing itself. It's like some weird virus that replicates and duplicates and it just perpetuates itself. So when we as a society stigmatize people or groups of people, we may not even notice the discrimination that follows, which leads to various forms of exclusion, isolation, or again, discrimination within social circles or within the workplace or within families. It perpetuates negative stereotypes with the basis of that negativity rooted in fear and a lack of understanding. It stands to reason that we, as humans, have a real fear of things we don't understand. A fear of the unknown. Because it's unpredictable. We have a fear of unpredictability. Which makes sense because it's crucial to our survival and even today there are still so many people within most societies that see and view symptoms of psychopathology also known as mental illness as threatening uncomfortable and dangerous as disgraceful and when you have 
an unpredictable quality to your character, you then have a dangerous quality. The stigmas surrounding mental health can be broken down to two distinct types, which those two distinct types of stigma can then be broken down further. And to truly change these attitudes and to break the stigmas, we have to understand how the stigma came about and is still perpetuated. So let's break it down. Last episode, I talked about how people think about mental health and those with mental illness and how popular scenes of insane asylums come to mind. The first distinct type of stigma is the social stigma. This stigma is the one that still holds prejudicial attitudes, which lead to judgment and behavior that discriminates against and towards individuals that struggle with mental health and mental illness. As a result of a psychiatric label they've been given or based off of the misinformation that is so commonly shared and pulled out and off the shelf, dusted off and redistributed in mainstream media after some horrific event such as a mass shooting. And these stigmatizing attitudes towards people with mental health, like that struggle with mental health and mental illness are very widespread and quite commonly held. It is perfectly acceptable and perfectly okay for a journalist to publish words such as nut job, wacko, fruitcake, psycho, when describing someone with a mental illness. But if that same journalist or news anchor were to say similar derogatory terms about someone of color or with cancer, they would immediately lose their jobs. And yet they can do this about anybody with mental illness and never face any repercussions. In many studies conducted time and time again over the years, they've found that adults tended to have these three negative opinions and or beliefs, regardless of their age, whether they knew someone personally with a mental health illness, and more surprisingly and most notable, regardless of the knowledge they had of mental health illness. Meaning professionals that have gone to school to help people with mental health illnesses. 
the three common stigmatizing attitudes are one, people with mental health problems were dangerous, particularly individuals that suffer from drug dependency, alcoholism, or schizophrenia. Two, most adults believe that some mental health illnesses are self-inflicted, such as eating disorders, self-harm caused from many different mental health illnesses, the most common depression, or even alcoholism or drug addiction. And third, most adults believe that people struggling with mental illness are just too hard to talk to in general. So why bother? And when it comes to adolescence, it's worse. The stigma we hold for adults is bad enough. But for kids and teenagers, it's harder. When asked about the stigma they faced, many adolescents, about 46%, described that this stigmatizing behavior came from the most unlikely sources like teachers, family members, friends, in the form of horrible assumptions such as the individual was just attention-seeking, being overly dramatic, or just going through a phase, and will eventually grow out of it. And personally, I know this to be true. When I was in high school and struggling with anorexia bulimia, or anorexia nervosa, and depression, I was told that I was being overly dramatic and just silly and to just be normal and grow up. I was also told by my parents to just stop because what would other people say and think about our family? It's not just about you, Morgan. And at that time, my dad was dating and planning on marrying a psychiatrist, a therapist. And when living in the same house with a licensed therapist, I was still able to drop my weight from around 120 pounds to a staggering 94, 95 pounds. Unnoticed. Self-harm. Unnoticed. And to sink further into withdrawal from friends and family. All unnoticed. And when it finally was noticed, it was completely mishandled by my father and my stepmother. My father turned to my stepmother for answers and for help. And... My stepmother referred me to one of her partners 
at her clinical practice. At 14 years old, I was diagnosed and all of my behavior was chalked up to borderline personality disorder. Again, by therapist in my stepmom's practice, by her colleague. And while he was very professional and very well respected in his field, in his own right, and very well known, it's still seen as kind of a conflict of interest. And again, a lot of the information that he got about me was from my stepmother and from my father before the very first visit with him. And he really didn't ask me a whole lot of questions. So I couldn't even speak for myself. I ended up moving back with my mom um, by my own choice. But by then, the damage was already kind of done. And my mother had an overwhelming challenge of cleanup job to do and was a little ill-equipped and ill-prepared due to misinformation from my father and stepmother. Luckily, my mother got me into an amazing counselor, but the self-stigma I held about myself had taken root, which leads into the second distinct type of stigma. Perceived stigma, self-stigmatization. And we're going to take a short little break right about now. Boop. And we're back. So let's talk about the second distinct type of stigma. Self-stigma, perceived stigma. This is, this again, it's the second distinct type of stigma we see in regards to mental health and mental illness. This is the internalized stigma the person suffering from mental illness And their self-perception of stigma and their perceived stigma from others. And how that significantly affects the individual with the mental illness feel more guilt, more shame, which then leads to poor treatment outcomes or not seeking help or just straight quitting treatment altogether, which then perpetuates the social stigma of people suffering from mental illness, being unpredictable and dangerous and don't ever really recover and only have themselves to blame. And it then becomes this toxic cycle with very real and oftentimes fatal consequences. Death by suicide, death by overdose 
from trying to self-medicate. When we see how stigma plays into the fears and concerns of all aspects of mental health and illness in the public collective consciousness, where it sneaks into policy decisions, research priorities, job discrimination, and even policies about access to the proper health care and treatment, it can be hard for the average sufferer of mental illness to even want to seek help. The fear of losing their job or being unable to advance in their job becomes very real. The fear of losing their family, parents disowning them because they're too ashamed the dishonor and the disgrace that they feel they bring to not just themselves but to their friends and their family the fear the very real fear that they'll be found mentally unable and incompetent to be a parent to their children leading to their children being removed from their care is very real. And it happens more than we like to admit. Those that struggle with mental illness tend to have very low expectations of society, which leads to less of a want to acknowledge and recognize their illness, which then decreases their odds to seeking out help. And they're less likely to accept treatment if they do seek help. They tend to feel isolated and they do not or feel they cannot demand change to the healthcare systems that they truly deserve, that they actually, they don't realize that they actually make up a pretty large voting block. What also hurts about stigma is that there's the silent majority of folks that have struggled with mental health and mental illness and have overcome their illness because they're professionals, they're politicians, they're nurses, they're doctors, they're CEOs, and that fear of losing their careers or somehow being viewed negatively and subsequently having their ideas or studies somehow written off and ignored because they themselves are somehow not qualified and are now unfit for their job. So they recognized they had an issue, privately sought help, adhered to their treatment, and overcame their struggles all in private and never 
feel that they can speak to it again or speak about it to anyone else or or to advocate for mental health awareness even if they don't agree with the stigma they see and the misinformation and negative stereotypes still perpetuated and still handed out fear of being isolated and cast out is all too real and it paralyzes some of the best advocates that can truly bring about real change we need to lead by example and teach by example We need to teach that mental illness is actually quite common. That it is very painful for both the person that suffers from mental illness and their family. And that it can be potentially deadly. We need to speak out about it like we do for cancer or for AIDS or any other physical illnesses like heart disease and COPD. And we need to recognize that we really and truly are a larger group than we realize, which means we are quite a large voting group. We need to have intelligent discussions and better awareness amongst those responsible for helping and treating mental health within the medical community, not just amongst mental health clinicians, therapists, and counselors, but also pediatricians and regular medical doctors and the rest of the medical professions, so we can better understand and recognize early signs and symptoms of mental health struggles, mental illness, and lead to preventative care and treatment because it does physically affect the brain. And if you can catch it early enough, you can actually stop some of the damage that it can cause physically to the human brain. It's not just... In the ether, hippy-dippy, oh, I can see your aura. Oh, it's all snake oil medicine. Like, illnesses. It's, it's real. It's physical. It's a hiccup in, in your brain. Neuroscience. We are vastly, vastly advancing in the medical field and medical research. And, and with that, we are now understanding the brain a, a little more each year. And the effects that mental illnesses have, the physical effects that mental illness has on the brain, is actually documented. <laughs> we need to stop shaming blaming and making fun of mental health struggles and mental illness and to stop whispering about it 
like a dirty secret. We need to stop letting shame and stigma freeze and silent us from talking about and speaking up about the very real struggles those people that suffer from a mental illness or their friends and family that struggle right alongside their loved ones. The pain of watching a loved one get addicted to drugs or alcohol in a poor misguided attempt at self-medicating the pain away. We need to show more compassion and genuine care and concern to those suffering from and struggling with a mental health illness. Because it is, in fact, again, a physical illness. And it can have long and lasting effects, physical effects, on the brain. As well as someone's body in the form of self-harm, liver disease from alcoholism, and other physical illnesses that come from self-medicating with drug abuse. And if left untreated, will usually lead to death. Imagine shaming, whispering about, and making fun of someone with cancer. It's a cringeworthy thought, to be sure. And most of you are thinking, I, why would you do that to somebody that has cancer? And I just have to ask you, so why is it okay for someone with mental health illnesses to be treated like that? It doesn't make much sense, does it? Speak out and educate yourself, your friends, and your family, as well as your community. And maybe if we referred to those with a mental health illness as strong, worthy, powerful, brave, resilient, thoughtful, beautiful, loved, and other such positive words... Over the negative words of psycho, nut job, fruitcake, dangerous, scary, crazy, it's it may start to change how we perceive mental health and mental illness. And those that struggle from, from it, and with it. And it's really weird to say that I'm a suicide survivor. But it's true. I am. And it's a really really weird thought because I know that when you say I'm a suicide survivor you don't get the same reaction as when you say I'm a breast cancer survivor when you say that I'm a suicide survivor 
most people are actually pretty harsh about it. Well, you look perfectly healthy and perfectly fine. How'd you try to commit suicide? And, you know, you don't have to answer it, but you feel compelled to answer it. And depending on the method, most people look at you and go, Oh, so you weren't really serious about it because it was a failed attempt. Why do we call it a failed attempt? Why can't we call it for what it is? You, you survived. You survived the thought, the action. I mean, many people have even said, like, when they think... Other people that have had suicidal thoughts and came very very dangerously close to acting on them don't consider themselves suicide survivors because the rest of society considers the woman that jumped off the theater like she jumped out of a theater and landed on a car and actually ended up marrying the man that owned the car that she landed on like back in the 30s or 40s, somewhere in that time frame. And, like, you know, it's like she actually jumped. You thought about it. You didn't. She's a survivor. You're just someone that's sad that had a dark thought. They think of a suicide survivor as somebody that tried to shoot themselves in the head, but uh, somehow magically survived a gunshot wound to their face and permanently fucked up their face. That's a suicide survivor. It's like when, when vets come home from war and... They survived, and there's nothing physically wrong with them, but mentally, they're not okay. And they feel that it's somehow wrong that they seek help because they're not mentally okay. Well, I still have my arms, I still have my legs, and I watched my friends lose their arms and their legs and you know, lose their eyesight and half their face in a horrible fire after being hit by an I by a roadside bomb, an IED. Like, so what do I have to complain about? You went through a traumatic event, and it does affect you. It physically affects your brain which then causes interruptions mentally. (sighs) And I know that part of what saved my life were friends and family and people that genuinely cared about me and reached out even if it was a random text that read, Hey, just checking in with you. Haven't heard from you in about a day. 
even if it's only been six hours from the last text or phone call, and just wanted to say, I love you. Hang in there. Keep your head up. I believe in you. This is the best first step in ending stigma. By ending it first within yourself. And then by helping end it within others. I personally will not be silenced by shame or fear any longer. It has ruled my life and has crippled me far too long. That's the reason I'm doing my podcast and this particular episode in general and the last episode. And again, I am nervous as fuck right now. I can just hear some of my friends and family telling me, Morgan, you shouldn't do this. What are you doing? This is, this is crazy. Oh my gosh, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? Do you think that this is a smart idea? What if your employer hears it? What if a potential employer hears this? What if, with what's going on right now in my life, what if somebody else hears this and it legally affects you? Like, I I can already hear my perception and what I believe, particularly my parents and one of my brothers would be saying to me right now, this is crazy. You should not do this. You should not post this. You should not be saying any of this. Or if you do post this, you need to keep it vague and, and don't get personal. Don't let anybody know. And and that right there, you just... I refuse to listen to that. Whether it's actually being said or I assume. I make the assumption that it's going to be said. So again, I'm I'm nervous as I'll get out, but I also know that I want to share because then maybe, just maybe, it can help save a life. It can help someone know that they're not alone. And it might start an actual discussion. Fears and concerns do need to be addressed. I won't argue that. I will not. But we need to see some change. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. And I hope that it has helped someone in some way. Please feel free to reach out to me at displacedunderdogs at gmail.com or on Instagram at displaced.under.dogs or even on the Anchor app, whether you call in and leave a voicemail or you get a hold of me through that. 
Until next time, be brave. Stay safe. Be kind with each other. Create and enjoy your day. Bye.